Welcome, and thank you for joining me in studying God's Word. I am Pastor Dave at Bensonville Bible Church, a church where pretty much everybody knows your name. If you enjoy mixing with different cultures, we might be just the place for you. Well, we're now three weeks into 2021 and under a new national administration with Joe Biden as our president. But even though we have new leadership, the fruits of 2020 are still in full bloom. COVID is still very much part of our lives. Washington, D.C. is still somewhat uneasy. Vaccine problems are pumping up all over the country. And then there are the security challenges, both nationally and globally. Broadly speaking, I think, there seems to be a sense of uneasiness hanging over our lives, our communities, and our nation. For the last several postings, I've been seeking to give us principles for transitioning into the new year. With that in mind, let's take a moment and ask God to help us gain a guiding perspective for our journey through the next 365 days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time you've given us to open your word and be reminded that our struggles have a purpose and are designed to help us grow our faith muscles. Thank you for the clarity and encouragement and the hope your work brings. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, at the moment, the hopes of 2021 are probably best captured by the word recovery, recovering from COVID and its social economic effects as we adjust to a new geopolitical playing field. Many pundits today are naming 2021 as the great reset of the world. That's just another way for advocating a global turnaround. As we grapple with the known and the unknown of 2021, Psalm 90 verse 12 comes to my mind. The psalmist writes, Teach us or teach me to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. I want us to notice carefully what the psalmist is saying. He did not say we should number our hours, our weeks, our months, or even our years. He's telling us to number our days. John Guile in his exposition of Psalm 90, verse 12, fleshes out for us the psalmist's words beautifully. What the psalmist is saying is, don't merely count your days as to how many there may be as in a mathematical way. There is no need of divine teachings for that. Nor is this to be understood of calculating or reckoning of time to come. No man can count the number of days he has to live. The meaning of the psalmist's petition is that we live as if the present day was the last day that we had. The sense is that God would teach us, teach him, if we, if we make his words our prayer, to seriously meditate on how we should use the time of the day we are in. Such meditation is meant to put us on track to redeem the time by centralizing God in our use of the day. So we're told in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, verses 15 to 17, Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise, making the most of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. So then, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's the idea of laying out our priorities for each day in light of the redemptive value of God. By meditating on the use of time, the psalmist points out that in meditation, get this, comes wisdom. The word wisdom in Hebrew is rooted in, to the idea of skillfully separating the good from the bad. 
In keeping with that idea, there are several questions that come to my mind. Questions such as, how good are you and I in separating the good from the bad? And is it possible to sharpen that skill of separating the good from the bad? And if we lack that skill, is it possible to acquire that skill? Now, what might be the foundation of this kind of wisdom? Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 tells us that wisdom is rooted in our grasp of the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of the Holy One that brings to us understanding. The Bible tells us that if we want uh, to be skilled in wisdom, such as such skill grows out of a study and application of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14 tells us that this kind of skill comes not from being spiritually spoon-fed by the elementary principles of the truths of God, which the writer of Hebrews likens to milk. He says there, verse 13, Everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of the practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. As Diana Wiebe reminds us in her blog, this kind of wisdom only comes through a careful study of God's Word. There God identifies good and bad behaviors and beliefs. Our challenge is to find out what God has to say on a matter and align our beliefs and behaviors with the Bible. And thus, we become wise. Now, as followers of Jesus, we need to be students of the time frame that we live in. God has planted us in these days for a specific purpose. We didn't just appear arbitrarily. In helping us live out our lives for the next 365 days, we need to have a clear understanding of the disparity that is occurring unfolding around us. J.P. Thackway of Bible League reminds us that our disparity comes because biblical norms have almost totally disappeared from society and the church. The spirit of pragmatism and willingness to go with the times is everywhere. So few have convictions and are prepared to make a stand, giving unflinching leadership when it's so desperately needed. We need to be like the children of Ishakar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32. The Israelites were noted for their wisdom. They had understanding of their times. That is, they were astute and perceptive as to the right steps to take in light of the turmoil of their day. Scott Steinberg, a futurist, lays out for us six fears that we are facing that capture the disparity of 2021 that we need to get a grip on. There's the fear of change and uncertainty. There's the fear of isolation fear of confrontation, a fear of rejection, a fear of losing control, and a fear of failure. And I would add a seventh. There's a lack of a fear of God. Historic, history is crucial to, for giving us solid guidance for living effectively the next 365 days. In seeking for a perspective and developing a perspective, I came across an article entitled No Fear by George Brown that landed for me. In the article, George Brown points out for us that it would behoove us to consider a truth gem given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Now these things happen to them as an example, writes Paul, 
and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, points them, to, points them back to a significant lessons rooted in the history past. The phrase, these things happened to them as an example, in part is found in the story of Exodus. Now, many of us know the story. In fact, I would encourage you to open your Bibles at this point to Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 through 15, where we're given a snapshot of crucial events that have application for us as we all face the fears tucked into the next 365 days. The Exodus started out with Israel moving out of Egypt, while the Egyptians mourned the death of their firstborn children. But within a couple of weeks, Israel found themselves trapped in a desert-like cul-de-sac, surrounded by an impassable Red Sea, desert mountain ranges, and the Egyptian army bearing down on them in hot pursuit. The choices were clear for them. There's going to be death by drowning or being lost out in the desert, fight the then world superpower with their shepherd staffs and be slaughtered on the spot, or surrender and be forced back into perhaps a worse slavery condition than they had before. Now remember, there is possibly two million plus people or more and all their livestock and possessions caught in this foreboding landscape in great despair. The air was tense. You can feel and hear their fear as they are caught in this cul-de-sac. Then there was Moses with a staff in hand, standing on a ledge above the frightened Israelites. That's where we pick up our story in Exodus 14, verses 13 and 15. Moses spoke to the people. I'm reading from the message. Don't be afraid. Stand firm and watch God do his work of salvation for you today. And take a good look at the Egyptians today, for you're never going to see them again. God will fight the battle for you. And you keep your mouths shut. And then God said to Moses, why cry out to me? Speak to the Israelites and order them to get moving. The same God who took action for Israel in those days is still God. We are told in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same today, today, and forever. So that brings us back to 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction. What was recorded on that day with Israel has application for us today as stated so aptly in Romans 15, 4, so that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we may have our hope. Now, in the Exodus story recorded for us, there are three directives that we need to pay close attention to. The first two directives come in verse 13. The third directive comes in verse 15. Let's consider the first directive. Do not be afraid, verse 13. We're not in, we're, we are not in a cul-de-sac like Israel found themselves, but I believe we're in a deep, dark pit, being overwhelmed with momental national pressures such as unemployment, corroding infrastructure, environmental constraints, a growing welfare state, weakening institutions, a teetering financial market, and a pandemic that won't let up. Just to name a few of the erosions taking place around us right now. In light of those things that are taking place, Hear the word of the invincible God, the mighty God, the God who works outside of our construct. Verse 13, don't be afraid. Why shouldn't I be afraid? Verse 14, God says, because I will fight for you. Our God is a God who works wonders when the chips are down. Our God does marvelous things and he does them all with his own power. 
with no help from anyone else. Psalm 77, 14. Our God is the God who works wonders, for He has made known His strength among His people. The obstacles around us are indeed foreboding. Like the nation of Israel, we are finding ourselves in a mountain of predicaments, and they are terrible, frightening. We need to take a lesson from the Exodus story. Our God is a deliverer. He is our omnipotent defender. George Brown drives this point home with these powerful words. All of God's promises are guaranteed by the blood of Christ. Therefore, in the midst of the pandemic and all the problems we're facing, he says to us, don't be afraid. Shut your mouth. I will fight for you. I will defend you. I will deliver you. And I will never, ever leave you nor forsake you. The point is, as followers of Jesus, we should not be afraid of our Red Seas, our desert mountain ranges, and the superpower pressures around us, and the social unrest, and the political tremors, and the escalating racial tensions, and the global terrorism, and natural disasters, and fires, and floods, and, can't forget, the pandemic, COVID. As we're told in Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39, that in all these things we are overwhelmingly overcomers through Jesus who loved us, for neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that all includes pandemics. Listen carefully. We have nothing to fear except that we might forget God in the midst of the tremors. And perhaps even specifically... God becoming lost in the seemingly overwhelmingness of COVID. Isaiah 41, 10 through 12. Do not fear, for I am with you, God says. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And behold, all those who are angered at you will be ashamed and dishonored. And those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. You will seek those who quarrel with you, but will not find them. And those who war with you will be as nothing and non-existent. So, don't be afraid. Well, that brings us to the second directive in verse 13, and that is stand firm. Now, don't forget the context. They are surrounded by formidable barriers. They are locked in a cul-de-sac, marked out by the Red Sea, desert mountains, and a superpower bearing down on them from the north. And God says to these people, Stand firm and watch. To Israel, God said in Isaiah 7, verse 9, If you don't take your stand in faith, you won't have a leg to stand on. As George Brown points out, To stand firm is not a state of passive resignation, but a posture of steadfastness, spiritual alertness, and an unyielding confidence in God. There are four ways for us to stand firm that are highlighted for us in the Bible. First, we stand firm because we know who has spoken to us and said, Stand firm. Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2. I waited patiently for the Lord, the psalmist writes, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock and making my footsteps firm. Second, we stand firm because the word of the Lord is sure. 
Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So dig your heels in and trust his unchanging word. Third, we stand firm because we are dressed in the armor of our God. Ephesians 6, 13. Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, stand firm. To stand firm dressed in God's armor is to have our minds protected from wrong thoughts, from a prideful heart and the lies our world would have us to believe. And, we all, and when it all is done, we hold up our shield of faith, standing firm. Fourth, we stand firm on the promises of God. Romans 4.20, like Abraham of old, we do not waver in unbelief regarding the promises of God. Abraham was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. The hope of a child legacy was long past for Abraham. And yet still, Abraham was fully persuaded of the truths of God's promises. Like the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Let's go forward, no wavering, no hedging, no doubting, forgetting those things which are behind, such as what normal was before the pandemic, and press on towards the goal of the high calling in Jesus Christ. As one writer states it, in an age of moral relativity, of religious pluralism, of neo-paganism, the appeal from God's word is to all followers of Jesus, stand firm on the solid rock of his everlasting word. Well, that brings us to our third directive in verse 15 go forward. Now, don't forget the context. Surrounded by a formidable barriers, the Red Sea on the one side, the desert mountains on the two other sides, and a superpower bearing down on them, God says to these people, go forward. Now, I want to tell you something. That is one crazy directive. What was in front of them was an impassable Red Sea. Yet, we're told in verse 15 that God tells Moses, tell Israel, move out, go forward. That would be, start walking towards the Red Sea. I am sure that fear hovered in the air for, these fledging, for this fledging nation of people. The future didn't look very bright at that moment. In light of the growing instability around us, the future doesn't look too promising to us either. Many in our communities feel discouraged and fixed in place. We feel stuck, along with the fear of uncertainty and doubt. Pablo Diaz writes, Sometimes the uncertainty of what lies ahead of us prevents us from moving forward. Yet, ironically, none of us know what tomorrow will bring. During World War II, Corey Tim Boone's family harbored uh, hundreds of Jews to protect them from the Nazi authorities. Betrayed by a Dutch citizen, her entire family was imprisoned for their actions. Corey survived imprisonment and went on to share her story with the world. And she at one point wrote, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. It was here in the Red Sea that Israel saw a mighty work of God that blew them away speechless. Like Israel of old, many of us feel trapped. The start of 2021 is not stable. The words of Isaiah 41.10 come to my mind. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be anxious, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. 
Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The message that God has for us, in spite of the pressures and crisis, is go forward in faith. Don't let our fears, our anxieties, and our worries paralyze us about the dark clouds hovering over and around us. Let us move forward in faith. Listen, if Israel had not moved forward, the Red Sea would not have opened, and the world superpower of that day would not have been destroyed. We move forward because in the words of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57, God has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we move forward, let there be no uncertainty about our salvation. Let there be no misgiving about our mission. And let there be no mistake about our doctrinal solidarity. We refuse to drift with the cultural winds of our times or take biblical detours. Forward, we must go. The great missionary statesman, David Livingston, is quoted as saying, I will go forward, I will go anywhere, as long as it is forward. As we are told in Hebrews 12, too, in going forward, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we are in. Sure, study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. Go forward. Well, let's stop here and kind of gather our thoughts just a little bit. I am told that in a far history past, the Romans were preparing to take over England. During the conquest, the commander of the Roman army ordered his men to burn their ships. It is reported that one of the sailors raised the question, if we burn the ships, what shall we do in the event of a retreat? And the commander responded, there shall be no retreat. The message to those of us who are followers of Jesus, I believe, is clear. We cannot retreat to pre-pandemic days. The pandemic, the paranoia, the political instability, and our anxieties cannot hold us back. We have no reverse gear. We are called to go forward in faith in this new year. We will not let the obstacles before us overwhelm us. For we are ambassadors of the King, and by God's grace, we will not long for pre-pandemic days. Those days are long gone. We move forward without hesitation, without murmuring, without doubting. But in confident faith, we move forward with our fingers texting away to our friends, our ears listening to the cries of the people around us, and our lips spreading the gospel's message to these, to these people in these hopeless days. The directives that our God gave to the fledging nation of Israel do not be afraid, stand firm, go forward, lives on in today's world. With our arms stretched out, our eyes fixed on the horizon, our heads held up high, our hearts filled with mercy for the stressed out, our hands joined together with injustice for the needy, and with our feet clothed with the gospel of the kingdom, we move forward forward towards that celestial city not built with hands. We move forward, bringing healing to our communities by proclaiming the good news that in God's salvation we have eternal hope and nothing else matters. That is our calling. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we fall so short of you and your mission. The world we live in is so very needy and hurting. Burden us to so 
your word earnestly that we may see a harvest. Take away our sin. Take away our scholarly unbelief and doubt. And take away our fears of what people might think of us. And anoint us with power afresh to sow your eternal word. And like your disciples of old, to serve you to the ends of the earth until you come. In your holy name, we pray these things. Amen. Well, as we journey through the weeks ahead of us, let us not forget the 1 Corinthians 15, 11, and the Romans 15, 4 truth gem. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come, so that through the perseverance and encouragement of scriptures, we have our hope, as we're told in Hebrews 12, 2. And going forward, keep your eyes, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who both began and finished this race that we are in. Study how he did it, and because he never lost sight of where he was headed. Hey, if you find these messages helpful and would like to contribute to this ministry, I would encourage you to do so. Go to our website, BensonvilleBibleChurch.com, one word. Click on the donation drop-down and pick your donation preference. And don't forget, live worship every Sunday morning at 1030 on Facebook and YouTube. And let's remember, God's got us no matter our difficulties. Let's keep on rejoicing because of God.